Are you looking for your next podcast binge to lose yourself in? Let me introduce you to a story that begins with sweet romance but quickly turns into betrayal and the far-reaching consequences of one man's deceit. It's an account told by the women whose lives were forever changed by it. You probably think the stories about you is a podcast hosted by Brittany Art. And it's not just another podcast. It's an exploration of self-discovery, growth, resilience, and healing. And it's all told in a unique format. And this is why I'm so excited about this one. This is Brittany's story, but she doesn't just host it like a podcast in the traditional sense. Through immersive soundscapes and the voices of the women affected by these events, this podcast creates such a unique experience experience that's going to make your headphones glow in the dark. I can't wait to get started and I hope you'll join me. Listen and follow. You'll probably think the stories about you wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone, this is Debbie. I am so excited to tell you our big news. We are teaming up to do an in-person workshop for you in Santa Barbara, California. I am coming out. We're going to do it together. It's going to be so amazing. Diana, tell us, tell our listeners about what we're doing. Debbie, I'm so excited you're going to be joining us. Kristen Reske at Goodland Organics Farm, which is located up in the foothills of beautiful Goleta, California in Santa Barbara, designed this day as a retreat and in a way that that we would want to take a retreat for ourselves. And it really works on all aspects of well-being. A lot of the concepts that we've talked about here on the show and what participants will experience in their day retreat is that they'll arrive at the farm. They'll have specialty coffee that's been grown on the farm and processed and roasted right there. Uh, they'll experience a wonderful yoga session uh, outdoors by a, a, overlooking a koi pond. And then we'll have workshops that Debbie, you and I will lead around mindfulness and psychological flexibility and values. We'll move into a, a lunch that's been sourced by uh, local farms in the area. And then we'll have another psychology workshop as well as a mindful walk through the beautiful uh, coffee orchards, and then we'll close the day with sound healing. So it's going to be pretty amazing. We hope that you can make it. Save the date. We wanted to announce this with enough time for people to travel if they wanted to travel October 19th, which is a Saturday from 9 a.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. And you can sign up for it on my website, which is drdianahill.com. D-R-D-I-A-N-A-H-I-L-L.com. Or you can also access it through the banner on the Off the Clock website, which is offtheclockpsych.com. Offtheclockpsych.com. I am just excited to present with you, but also just to attend it because I think it's going to be incredible. And every time I go to a workshop of this type, I've never done one exactly like this, but whenever I go to a psychology workshop or little yoga retreat or something like that, it just really recharges my batteries. And so I hope that some of you who enjoy listening to the podcast will come spend some time with us in person and, and have the same experience. It's going to be amazing. We are three clinical psychologists committed to cutting-edge, integrative, and evidence-based strategies for living well. On this podcast, we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. I am Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. We hope this podcast offers you ideas for how to live a full and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. It is our 100th episode, ladies. I am so excited that we've made it here. And today's episode is going to be all about our history and 
what we've uh, been through together and some lessons we've learned. Listeners, thank you so much. We are going to read a few reviews and tell you a little bit about what some of the researchers, psychology buffs, and therapists who listen have to say about our podcast. And, you know, these reviews and contacts that people make with us over email, they really keep us going. Man, there's been many times that I think each and every one of us, I know uh, I have Diana here, feel like bailing on this because it's a lot to, to do. And every time we get an email or a review, it is that little boost to keep us going. So thank you for writing to us and um, motivating us to keep doing this work. And for me, Debbie, it's good to know that it's not just my in-laws listening anymore who have been some of our biggest fans. It's so sweet. They are such supporters. They listen to, I think, almost every episode. Um, But we also want to know that that we're reaching beyond that. And we are. And that makes us really happy. So let's read some reviews. Yael, give us the first one. (laughs) All right. So one of the reviews that we really appreciate, we appreciate all the reviews, even actually the critical ones and, and the ones that are um, requesting specific things. But this one is from uh, a writer called What Birds Plunge Through, a five-star review that says, this is such a great, casual, accessible discussion of contemporary ideas in psychology. I'm not a professional, but I am a researcher. And this podcast provides vocabulary, history, and perspectives that inform my journey. From Moises H., everyone must listen to this. And it says, this podcast and its brilliant concept is a game changer for society. It's an excellent gateway source for deeper understanding of psychology and mental health issues, as well as an insightful toolbox for acquiring the mental health tools to relieve some mild, moderate, everyday, stressful situations. I tune in for every episode and hope you will too. How about from A. Hernandez124, who writes, best psychology podcast out there. I have always been interested in psychology from high school to currently pursuing my master's in MFT. And this is the best psychology podcast I have found as is educational and relevant to current events. The host guests are knowledgeable, incredible, while enthusiastic and entertaining. The podcast even provides me with extra motivation during my commutes when I'm between clients. I find nothing wrong with the voices. Hey, thanks. <laughs> we are not professionals. <laughs> I love listening to extremely intelligent women share their knowledge and experience in the field as well as from their personal lives. Thank you. Thank you and to our listeners. Yeah, and it's so great to hear that we're you know, to hear the different backgrounds of people that are listening. So everything from people that are just interested in psychology to people in training to researchers. And that's really what our goal was. Keep them coming, you guys. We do. We love the reviews. They help us get found. And we love hearing from you directly. If you ever want to shoot us an email, we will appreciate it. So other thank yous that feel really important is to, well, we got to thank our kids for being quiet. (laughs) For the moment. My kids are upstairs, so we never know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Yael is in her, I guess her basement and there's power tools and some sort of chaos behind you. (laughs) Like, yeah. It's my husband's workspace. (laughs) Uh, But yes, our kids for, for, allowing us to take this time and even listening to sometimes our voices in the car when we have to listen to our own podcast for editing. And, and I think our partners, uh, my partner in particular, who does all the behind the scenes work, uh, anything technological and all those glitches, he's working hard at that. And I so appreciate him. And then how about the folks that have been on the show? So everyone from our mentors that uh, have been part of our training experiences to a lot of researchers and book authors that we just blindly cold called. Thank you for all the effort and time you put into our podcast. Well, we wanted to tell the quick story of how we got started, which goes back to 2016. And we were on a trip for a good friend, our good friend, Meg McKelvey's birthday. And we were kind of hanging out in a hotel room, having conversations about psychology. And we just got so excited about the idea of trying to find a way to share some of this beyond just ourselves. Our friend Ray was there, who's one of our co-founders too. And it's hard to think about this now, but it really just started as sort of a kernel of an idea and just kind of didn't know where it was going to head. But to think that here we are three plus years later with all these listeners and 100 episodes to think that it just kind of started with this little spark. It took, took a lot to get here. Are you surprised, Diana? I think what surprises me the most is actually some of the people that were my 
the people that I really look up to in the field have come on the show. And that has been probably one of the most influential components of doing this podcast is being able to speak uh, personally with psychologists who just have not only changed the field of psychology, but changed my life. So yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking that, that we're here. And then I also have really appreciated our connection with Ray and then the connection of the three of the, the three of us and how it's built our friendship and both as, as colleagues, but also personally. And I love that we share in that. Absolutely. Well, and to me, it's really kind of cool to think that our very first episode was on the book, Playing Big, Practical Wisdom for Women Who Want to Speak Up, Create, and Lead by Tara Moore. And we talked about what it's like to sort of create something, put it out there in the world, take a leap. It's been a really interesting personal process for us to do this. You know, we've had to put our voices out there, which can feel a little strange and vulnerable. We all have our inner critic that rears up sometimes when we're Question. More than sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> some of us more than others, you know, did, was that okay? Did I sound all right? Um, so we've, we've just put it into practice and I think that's been a really cool experience. How about for you, Yao? Uh, well, I think I had barely heard of what podcasts were when you invited me on to do to guest on an episode, Diana. But I was I was super excited, and it was so fun. I remember you contacted me and asked me if I was interested in sharing a little bit about the research that I do at Brown, and I said, um, you know, what I'd really be interested in talking about is some of the um, non research uh, writing that I'm doing. So we ended up doing an episode on straddling work and family life, and it was so much fun. Um, and so I was just really excited when you guys invited me to return for a couple more guest episodes and then just shocked when you invited me to join as a co-host. And it was um, kind of one of those decisions that was hard because I really wanted to do it, but I was already so overwhelmed with responsibilities. But I, I'm so glad that I took the leap and joined you guys because it's been such a blast. So the history between Yael and I, our connection is that we were in grad school together. We were in the same cohort of seven at University of Colorado at Boulder. And Yael was my running partner. We would go on these long runs along the Bobo Link Trail along the river of, of Boulder and just talk about how stressed out and anxious we were. <laughs> And overachieving we were in graduate school. And really, those are my best memories of Yale. And then we, we got disconnected while you were busy pursuing your career and having three children. And I was busy in my life. And it's been so fun to, to reconnect in this way as mothers and, um, and when working on this podcast and then hearing all this, this work that you've, that you've been doing in the area of relationships. Well, and Yael was so simpatico from the beginning. She just really clicked with us. Her three early episodes were so great on straddling work and family, number 24, on maintaining healthy relationships, which was number 28, and on couples with young children, which was number 33, that we just felt like she'd make the perfect co-host. And then and then we officially brought her on. And by then, Ray had decided to take a step back because she just wanted to prioritize other, other things in her life. And I'm happy to report we're still friends with Ray. The last time I saw her, she looked so happy. She was taking such good care of herself. She looked so relaxed. And what I love about working with women, which I think is different and unique, is that we all understand that importance of self-care and also of needing to step back, that there's these there's this like tide, like an accordion of times when we get really expansive and big, and then times when we need to contract and go inward and take care of our priorities around family or around certain issues at work. And I think all three of us know that about each other. And we knew, and also with Ray, when we were working with Ray, that lends to this really safe arena of support. Yeah. Nothing, nothing better than working with therapists. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that too. Therapist women. Yeah, other people can carry the load when we're overtaxed, and that's really nice. And another really cool thing is that we all have sort of different interests, different strengths in the field of psychology, you know, a little research, a hospital setting, private practice. And we just bring different content areas in, but I think it sort of complements each other because we're not all doing the exact same thing. So in the 100 episodes that we've completed, we've covered an enormous variety of topics, and, and yet somehow it seems like we've barely scratched the surface, which is 
which is really exciting because there's so much more that we can cover. But we wanted to take a few minutes to talk about some of the episodes that we have that have really stuck with us over time and to share a little bit about those. Diana, can you start us off? Well, maybe we can start with some episodes that we use in our daily lives because part of this podcast is not only for all of our listeners, but we use a lot of these strategies and learn so much. And I think for me, as you can see, the theme in the past hundred episodes has been a lot about compassion. And it goes back to that that third episode that I did with Ray, where we review some of the research on self-compassion. And here, let's take a listen to Ray talking about self-compassion. Yeah, I often um, begin with mindfulness, um, like we've talked about. And I think that, um, that it's very true that when you slow people down to really pay attention to what is going on during the suffering, a lot of it is, I don't want to feel this way. Mm -hmm. I want to get rid of it. um, And I want to feel better, whatever that means. Um, and so it immediately starts a war with your emotions. And, you know, I think self-compassion, when you slow down and, like you said, really investigate the suffering with interest and care, then um, self-compassion kind of grows on its own, you know, taking being able to sort of loosen up the space between the suffering and what we think about the suffering. Mm-hmm. And I really like what Christopher Germer, who's a psychologist at Harvard and has written a book on self-compassion, writes about this piece of mindfulness and kindness to ourselves. He says that mindfulness says feel the pain and self-compassion says cherish yourself in the midst of the pain. Mm-hmm. And that, that is exactly what you're talking about, of slowing down to allow, allow some space for the pain or discomfort, but then also cherishing it, cherishing yourself in that mm-hmm. uh, and maybe relating to yourself in the way that you would relate to somebody that you care about, a small child, someone that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kristen, and, now, yeah, yeah, and I just, and to add to that, I think um, from the therapy relationship, having the therapist respond with compassion is kind of the very first, for some people, the very first time that they really get that kind of like, uh, like kind of in your face reaction of like, this is how it would be different. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm responding to your pain like this with so much concern and care. And, um, you know, that's very different than their experience maybe out in the world. And what's amazing is that some of the people that we talk about in the episode we later had on the show. So some shout outs to Christopher Germer and to Russell Colts and to Paul Gilbert, to Kelly Wilson that ended up coming on the show after and all of their work really has influenced me so, so much. How about for you, Debbie? Well, I really use a few more practical episodes in my daily lives. First of all, numbers 29 and 30, which were on food and nutrition and how they impact mood and sort of cognitive functioning. So let's take a listen. But another um, area that there's been a lot of research on is um, with uh, olive oil and in particular monounsaturated fats. So the nice thing about monounsaturated fats and olive oil is that there is no controversy here. Everyone would agree that olive oil is good for you. Mm-hmm. Put it in your hair, put it on your skin, but put it on your salad. And that should really be our primary um, fat that we use. And it's the primary fat that's been used in the Mediterranean diet, which has shown up over and over again as one of the healthiest um, diets when researchers have looked at cardiac health, um, diabetes, but also now brain health. One of the things that um, is really nice about monounsaturated fats is that they don't upset the balance of omega-3 to 6s. And they have a component called oleic acid in them, which is particularly beneficial for BDNF. Um, In a study that Drew Ramsey talks about, actually, in his book, um, The uh, The Happiness Diet, He says he reports in a study where participants who were supplemented um, in a diet that had with with they're supplemented with nuts, um, which are high in monounsaturated fats. 
they were 78% less likely to have low levels of this VDNF. So VDNF, again, being that um, fertilizer for your brain and brain connections. Um, and so one fat in particular, olive oil, is really um, beneficial in that it has, it's full of antioxidants, which is helpful for um, reducing oxidative stress in the brain. And it also may be important in, um, in helping get rid of the beta amyloid proteins that can develop in your brain as you age. And it's actually those beta amyloid proteins which have been associated with sort of the tangles and plaques that you see with Alzheimer's um, disease. Hmm. So the diet that I'll talk about in our next episode called the MIND diet really emphasizes um, the importance of using olive oil and its cognitive, uh, its cognitive benefits. I think about this every time I eat nuts and blueberries, which I do more frequently now. Yeah. And I also use avocado oil all the time. I buy it at Costco, the big jug. And that's yeah. directly because of you, Diana, and that episode. It's like that and olive oil are pretty much all I stock anymore. And then also the kissing the frog episode about morning routine. I still go to bed much earlier than I used to and try to carve out a little bit of time to myself in the morning. So I think about that, that a lot, kissing the Is frog. Anyone putting on their socks one at a time by balancing still? Because I know my mom does that and I'm so proud of her at 70. She's just turning 70 this year. She Aww. does that and it's working on her balance. So that's a fun one. Yay, to Diana's to. mom. Good for you. <laughs> what about the episodes that we feel like apply most to our work, y'all? Well, I love Debbie's episode with Mathieu Vlat um, on language and suffering. And it is it, it's such a great description of some of the core pieces of acceptance and commitment therapy um, in terms of talking about how we get so entangled with our language and, and get trapped in our own narratives. And I personally am always working on that. And certainly it's something that comes up pretty much with every patient I see in, the, in my clinical practice. So I'll just give you guys a quick listen to this beautiful episode with Mathieu Villat. Uh, so it's a behavior that... Uh something that we do, uh, and that then transforms the way we interact with the world. Uh, by language, we don't just mean uh, the, the words that we say, like right now we're interacting with each other with, uh, with words, uh, but we also mean the, the, the way we, what we think. Like, for example, if I'm silent for a moment, I might not say words, so it might seem like I'm not uh, doing a language, the behavior of language, but I'm doing it in different ways. First, a silence might have some meaning in terms of communication with you. Uh, and also, privately, I'm engaging in language and thinking. I might be thinking uh, sentences, having thoughts. I might also see pictures. I might uh, remember smells. Uh, I might imagine the future. I might interpret uh, your facial expressions, the things you say. So it's an activity that we do uh, more probably continuously in all kinds of ways. And that comes to filter the, what, the way we interact with the world. Uh, for example, right now, so people cannot see because it's only the audio, but we're seeing each other uh, on the video. And I see your face, I see you nod, I see you smile. There are things that I see, we could say directly, without language. But then there is an interpretation of uh, what I see. Uh, mm -hmm. I see a smile and I'm thinking, oh, you understand what, I'm, uh, what I mean, or you agree with me, or you're being nice. Um, if you were to start frowning, maybe I think, uh, maybe I'm not very clear, or, or the opposite, maybe I'm saying something interesting. So you see, this is something, uh, language that comes to uh, um, transform the, my direct experience of the world and other people. Debbie, how about you? So one of the ones I really think about a lot and recommend to people was one that uh, was with Jim Lucas on therapist self-doubt and how to use it in an effective way. I've 
talk to trainees about it, other clinicians. And I think about it a lot myself when I'm struggling in my work. So I really appreciated Jim sharing that with us. And that one's not it's so interesting because it was a clinician's corner for therapists one, but I think the self, how he talks about self-doubt is so applicable to everybody, anybody that's experienced self-doubt, which is everybody. Which is everyone. When therapists had more self-doubt about their expertise, about their knowledge, about the way that they did things, it it was correlated with better outcomes than those who didn't have that self-doubt. What they also found was that practitioners who practiced self-affiliation, so self-compassion, and, and I think examples of components within psychological flexibility as well, when, when needed, also experience better outcomes. And, but the best outcomes came when people did both of those things. So if you were just self-compassionate, it might have helped your well-being, but it didn't necessarily help your performance. It didn't help you create, derive... Uh, better outcomes. It was the combination of caring for yourself, nurturing for yourself, and making time for reflective practice. How about you, Diana? Which ones do you apply to your work? Well, given that a lot of the people that I work with often struggle with sleep in combination with the other issues they're coming in to work with me on, I often refer people to Alicia Bross's episode, Dr. Bross's episode on insomnia and stopping the struggle with sleep. She did a great episode number seven that you can check out. And I also loved your episode with Erin Andrews on disability as a form of diversity. And what I loved about it was that it just was a major eye-opener for me and a a complete mind tweak of ways that I've, a quote, well-intentioned person (laughs) have been not so helpful. And what I really loved was how uh, Dr. Erin Andrews talks about some of the words that people use to to describe individuals with disability and how those words really need to be owned and developed by the people that that have a disability and all these problems that we have with youth sugar coating and euthanisms and then I loved her discussion of what she calls inspiration porn so take a listen to this but the the porn aspect comes in because when we think about porn that's where we uh there's gratification um, that comes from objectification of somebody else or someone else, right? And so when we talk about inspiration porn, um, what we're looking at is where there's kind of non-disabled gratification and then objectification of someone or someone with disabilities. And so you do see this in the popular culture all the time, especially on social media. So, so an example that you might see of a inspiration porn meme on social media, there's one I can think of that uh, depicts a little girl with bilateral upper extremity amputations uh, writing with a pencil kind of between her thumbs. And then it says on the meme, there's usually some phrase or some sort of uh, caption and it says, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Uh, and so it's just, with inspiration porn, because it's, it's not about her. It's got nothing to do with this little girl with a disability. It's, it's for the gratification of people, uh, non-disabled people. And so when someone looks at that, I guess they're supposed to feel like amazed and inspired that, you know, this little girl can ride even though she doesn't have any hands. And it's supposed to make them feel like they can do anything. Um, and so there's, there's just countless examples of these, but, uh, they're really problematic, um, partly because they're ridiculous. I mean, um, I don't know the little girl in the picture and I don't know if her parents gave permission for her picture to be used in that way, but I can guess they probably didn't. Um, but from what I do know, um, the likelihood is that she was born, uh, like me with, um, a congenital, um, limb deficiency. And so she's probably been writing that way her whole life. And for her writing with her two thumbs is no harder than your eye writing with our fingers. And so, you know, it, it just, it, it takes her normality and, and just um, makes it into something, you know, really extreme. And, and it's not, it's not for her and it's not about her. It's for uh, non-disabled people to, 
to feel better and to feel good. And that's, uh, that's what we call inspiration form. What about episodes we most refer to clients? Because now this is actually part of my practice as I'm often saying, okay, you got to listen to this. This is your homework assignment between now and the next time we meet. It's a great homework tool because sometimes some of the things that we want to work on in session, we just don't have enough time for the educational component of therapy, the psychoeducation. So which ones do you refer most to your clients? Well, I just want to make a comment that I think it's so funny as a therapist recommending our own podcast episodes. <laughs> yeah. so sometimes I'm careful to only recommend ones that the two of you have done, Aww. Debbie and Diana. Um, but what's also fun is that we hear from listeners both um, who are therapists and recommend episodes to their clients and also from um, listeners who are clients and have their therapists, therapists recommend the episodes that they are helpful. So I just want to say that um, it's really great to hear that it is helpful. I personally um, recommend a lot of them, but one of the ones that I find myself repeatedly suggesting is the, is the episode with Dr. Kelly McGonigal on willpower, because when it comes to change in therapy, you know, we can have all the great ideas, but putting it into action in a consistent and persistent way is really challenging. And um, Kelly has some great ways to think about how, what, what willpower is and, and how to make it work most effectively and, and what are, times and situations that it doesn't work well for us. And it has a lot to do with um, identifying and clarifying our values and and operating under that um, context, as opposed to just trying to grit our teeth and do something that's uncomfortable or hard. How about you, Debbie? You know, I was just thinking within the last couple of weeks, I've, I've told a few clients about marriage in midlife, the rough patch episode Mm. that you did. Yeah. With Daphne DeMarnay, um, and also the anxiety ones. I do work a lot with anxiety. Um, anxiety happens episode number 44 with John Forsyth. And that was cool too, because we heard he was really kind of in early on act and it was kind of cool to, to listen to a founder. And we've, we've had other folks like that too. And episode number 77 with Dr. Jill Stoddard is such a great episode on acceptance and commitment therapy. I also love doing a combination referral. <laughs> So a two, a two a episode two recommendation. For one. Ooh, you, <laughs> you, you want to do find a lot of homework. <laughs> I find a lot of homework. Nobody really does it, but <laughs> ones that do are my favorites. No, Not even kidding. your co-host. <laughs> I know. I, I sign a homework to my co-host too, you guys. <laughs> the two that I really liked as a pair are Louise Hayes, her episode on adolescence, which is such a game changer if you have an adolescent um, to understand what's the normal development and her DNA, the model of how to use values with adolescents and get out of that power struggle and really appreciate them as sunsets. And, uh, and then that in combination with uh, Dr. Sticks Red's self-driven child, I think we all, after, after I interviewed him, we all wanted him to be our dad. He is so kind and, and uh, also just really clear in his approach and working with, with children and it's super effective. So, uh, that combo is great for parents out there or clinicians that uh, work with parents or work with children. Let's take a quick listen to Louise Hayes. And so that's the part that we can see that's the most obvious that, um, there's a very rapid growth and change, but it's the parts we can't see that I think are the most interesting for us. You know, brain changes, changes in um, emotions that, that are all going on inside our brains, changes in thought and processing, our ability to suddenly be abstract thinkers, or not suddenly, but our ability to be abstract thinkers, um, and changes socially that are really important from a developmental perspective. Like suddenly, uh, every, everything you do is looked at through the eyes of what peers will think. I can still remember being a teenager and just being mortified that I had to go out in the presence of my mother and that people would see me with my mother at the age of 12. (laughs) And that's pretty common for people to think those things. So suddenly the peers become the most important thing. Um, And from an evolutionary perspective, there's a good reason why that happens. Uh, When you're a child, your life centres around your family and perhaps a few friends. When you're an adult, your life is out in the world um, with work and being an independent person and having a relationship and all of those adult things that we do. 
And the adolescent phase is that period in between where sometimes you're a child and sometimes you're acting like an adult. And you have to find out eventually over the course of adolescence, how do I be an adult? And that means lots and lots of practice at adulting um, and getting it wrong. (laughs) So there, if you think about the social and psychological things that a young person has to do and all of the things that they have to plan. Just imagine this, Debbie, that I said to you, okay, you've got three years, Debbie, and from the day this podcast finishes, you have to uh, leave home, get an education, choose a career, experiment with your sexuality, become independent, and you've got three years to do it. it's It's a pretty dramatic change if you think about what young people have to do. We know lots of hard, a lot of hard tasks. Well, you know, adults who are moving house and spend six months complaining about it uh, every Monday morning at the water cooler. Um, (laughs) So if you think about the tasks that are going on psychologically and socially, it's quite remarkable. It's a remarkable time. Um, Really. What, what about the risk-taking? You mentioned that as one of the evolutionary, you know, adolescents, a lot of times is it risk-taking as a part of it. it. Do you think in your perspective that that risk-taking part of adolescence is wired in? It is, and I can tell you why. So a lot of our work, uh, we use evolutionary science to help us understand. So there's a very big anthropological study that was done on 187 different cultures Um, and they looked at the key characteristics of adolescent behaviours and the key characteristics across 187 cultures were risk-taking, love of novelty and sensation-seeking. I think what's also interesting that listeners don't know is that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes when we're interviewing some of uh, the the big shots that we've had on the show or we're doing episodes together. And it's kind of, there's so much laughter and so much also horror. <laughs> and for me, the, 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 you all know that we, we did this interview with Kelly Wilson and he's been mentioned a thousand times on the show. And it was a really big deal for me to interview him and such an honor. And that interview I was doing at my neighbor's house because we were remodeling our kitchen at the time. So there was construction going on at my house. Meanwhile, during the interview, her dog was barking. The answering machine was going off. Who has an answering machine anymore? Well, my neighbor, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) So while he's talking, the answering machine is going off. It was the the craziest interview that I've ever had on, on my side. I had to do so much editing of it and it and it just felt terrible afterwards. I remember contacting you guys and I was so upset. Do you remember that? Yes. yes. <laughs> and then it sounded great in the end it after a so lot good. of editing yeah. work. But that is stressful. It is. Yeah. Really it was it was Diana's hero and it was a rough episode, but she made it through and it was a beautiful episode. And that's why it's so helpful to have friends and women and therapists to be able to turn to when we're struggling. It was a good example of compassion and getting some of that compassion for from you because I certainly didn't have it for myself at that time. What are some other memories of, of episodes, bloopers or stuff that happened for you? Well, do you guys remember when I, I interviewed Steve Hayes and David Sloan Wilson, which was really awesome just listening to two of them riff off each other. But it was so funny because I had all these questions that I had prepared and it was all organized. I knew exactly what I was going to say. And they just started talking and I was just sitting there like looking at my notes, like, wait, what are they talking about? Wait, this is not going the direction I had planned. And I had to basically just like toss my notes aside and just talk to them, which was fine. But I just remember like, they kind of just went rogue. Yeah. <laughs> and for a minute, what, it's like, ah! what a powerful moment in history to hear those two talking in a just casual way about ideas that they're generating currently. Oh. I thought that was so fun to, to hear that. And so just, it was so cool. It just wasn't as I had planned, which was fine. It required a lot of psychological flexibility exactly. on your part. <laughs> yeah. What about for you? Yeah. All three of us have had to, um, contend with kids in the background, animals, husbands who are calling our time. Um, Oh no, you've had to stop and go nurse and then come back. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Remember yeah. the time, yeah. Diana, I had such a bad cough. I was sick, but I feel like we had to record for some reason. We had a very narrow window. And so I muted myself to cough like the practically the entire episode. Yes. I had no problem just talking the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, I was barely paying attention. I was coughing Terrible. like crazy. It was, yeah, I felt kind of bad, but it, you pulled it off without me. I was barely helpful. I think the moments that Yael has shown some of her personal side have been the most precious for me. And, you know, I think the example of when you talk about being called Q-tip in the, <laughs> oh, um, yes. in the episode about body image, that just touched my heart. And I, I have to, I have to like hold back from wanting to call you Q-tip. In a good way, because it's so cute. And then when you shared about uh, in the political division episode, which was actually one of my also favorites and I think most relevant episodes that we all need to listen to. Uh, Debbie and Yael talked about the psychology of political division and Yael shared more about her personal history of um, her dad growing up in a kibbutz, her history of just in her own family and and how she has developed over time and then how she uses some of these uh, skills from, from couples therapy in understanding political divisions. So we should even just take a little listen to that. Another thing that I was really left with, and and Haidt goes into this pretty explicitly, is the way that liberalism and conservatism um, can really support and balance each other. Um, And I think, um, you know, it's it's a really uh, useful thing in the way that they are, they can be seen as complements to one another. So liberalism may be more likely to bring about freedom and equal opportunity, but it may do so at a cost of changing things too quickly and reducing the availability of the kinds of interlocking values and norms and practices that might help a society to most effectively cooperate and flourish. Um, so for example, you know, liberals may risk sacrificing the hives to help some of the bees. Um, and on the other hand, conservatives are more likely to preserve moral capital, to, to preserve stability, to preserve traditions. But they may do so at a cost of overlooking classes of victims of oppression or limiting powerful elite interests or failing to make updates that might be necessary or at the very least beneficial. And so if we can kind of see the differences in a more useful light where the balance of liberalism and conservatism really help one another out and and are nice compliments to one another, that can sort of help us move from a place of sort of fighting to win to a place of appreciating the way that the balance exists between the two. I also really loved all the hearing all the behind the scenes of the people that we were interviewing. So a little tidbit here, Stefan Guyanet was his wife of the hungry brain. His wife was pregnant while we were recording the episode. Just they were just going to have the baby really soon. And then Jason Lillis, Lillis from um, on effective strategies for weight loss was also just had a baby. And I'm thinking in the back of my head. Oh man, life is going to change for you too in terms of your your plans around eating. And I, I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, I just remember when I was, you know, had a newborn and I was breastfeeding and I was up all night and just eating like milkshake, hamburger, and French fries. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. on the regular I just remember <laughs> mapping out where all the drives through drive throughs were because oh. you just didn't have time. And and I'm a relatively healthy person, but like, man, that first year you just needed to find uh, something. Yeah. I'm so curious. I want to have them back on. Yeah. And then I love the I love the embodiment. So I sometimes I put Debbie on these experiential exercises and the embodiment episode where we were talking about going barefoot and you talk about stepping on Tigger. So we got to listen to that one. A Tigger toy. Yeah. Take a listen. I want you to go find something that is sort of like the size of like a stone or a tennis ball or an eraser, something that could fit under your foot. Okay. One moment. Okay. Is that <laughs> perfect? Too bumpy. Tigger. Okay. Yeah. Well, Tigger. Will I have be a little toy. Tigger. Tigger. 
From Winnie the Pooh. Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. A little plastic toy that can fit in your hands. That's perfect. Okay. So now put that toy on the ground. And we still have our barefoot. So people out there that are listening, if also they've stopped and they found something small, it can be a stone or a tennis ball or a toy or something like that, an eraser. Now put your foot on top of the toy and just notice this is embodiment. So get in your body and just notice how your foot molds to and shapes around the toy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you'll probably feel certain sensations in your foot of the toy activating. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Good embodiment. And what I want you to imagine is if you were kind of like walking over Tigger's barefoot, like every day you were walking through your house and there was just a lot of Tigger's around and you were just sort of gently walking through your house. How well would your foot be able to respond to a Tigger that's left out from your little girl? Um, on the floor, if you were to walk over it, if you just sort of did this on a repeated basis. So the question is how, how, how well would your would foot you... be able to respond? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it would just sort of go around it. Yeah. It would yeah. sort of go around it. It kind of right? like moves. Yeah. And what do you think My would happen? My foot sort of moves around. Yeah. And what do you think would happen to your foot over time from doing that? It would probably be more flexy, flexible. Flexy. Mm-hmm. And you might develop yeah. some calluses where the tigger particularly, his nose particularly <laughs> pointy. Um, yeah. And you might, yeah, your foot would be more flexible. It probably would be stronger. There'd probably be upward um, strengthening of like if your foot were to land on the tigger, other muscles around the area would be strengthened because they would support the area that's having to flex over the tigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, let's imagine that you haven't been doing this and you've been wearing shoes since you were three years old, like most of us on the planet. And one day you decided you were going to take off your shoes in your home and your little kid left Tigger there and you stepped on Tigger. What, what do you think would happen? Well, I can say from personal experience, (laughs) really, (laughs) it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah, It hurts. I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't pick a Lego because those are the worst. Legos are painful. (laughs) Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. It also causes potential for you to do what? Not just get hurt, but yeah. Like twist your ankle or yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Fall over. Okay. Now you're 70 years old and you have grandchildren and they left Tigger out and you've been wearing your shoes for 68 years and you step on Tigger, what happens? Oh no, <laughs> you get hurt. You right. Get hit. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, how does this relate? Okay. This is about our bodies, but this is also about our psychology. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'll make the connection for us. Okay. Okay. Um, here's the connection. One is we, let's just say with our feet, Repeated not going out into the wilderness and casting our feet in protective layers of shoes makes our feet less flexible and less strong and less resilient Mm. to when there is a significant event that happens and less embodied. We're less, we just know so little about these feet that carry us around day in and day out because we don't have to. And then there's been more poignant more poignant times, I think, where some of this work has really impacted um, me and doing my own therapy work and made it so much richer. And actually, when I was recording the episode with um, Dr. Kearney about palliative care, I was going through losing a client that, that passed away. And it was so helpful to have that read his book and talk to him about the process that he uses with people that are dying. Uh, It just was so, um, what can I say about it? It, it felt like it was like a a handhold during, during that time when I really needed it. So, yeah. So what's so fun about this podcast is how it can inspire us in our individual lives and in our professional lives, but also how our individual and professional lives inspire this podcast. And just as another personal share, um, you know, one of the things that I've recently gone through is losing a parent. And I, as part of my process of dealing with my loss, um, have some plans to do some episodes on, on grief and dying. Um, and for me, that's a way to learn and grow. And it is sort of inspired by what's happened personally, but I'm able to use that, um, hopefully to help other people too. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's such an awesome thing about having a podcast is that when we have something we want to learn more about or something that's touching us personally, we can really use this as a a way to delve into it and to share what we're learning with others who might find it helpful as well. Yeah. So continue to reach out to us and tell us what you want to hear about. And we hope to pursue it. Sometimes it takes a while. Things are booked out way in advance, but we hope to pursue lots of the ideas that that you have, please write us a review. It makes a big difference to us. It just makes us know that you're out there listening. And um, it's a way of maybe podcast help reach other people too. Yeah, absolutely. And on the horizon, we have some, some things to look forward to. We hope to, that you will come to some, maybe some workshop offerings that we have coming up. We also have a new team in person. So look for that. Yeah. Look for that. And, um, we also are starting an Instagram account. Off the clock. Follow us on Instagram. We're, we're a little, behind the times on a few social media things, we're but we're together. <laughs> together. Or we're ahead of the times in terms of digital minimalism, whichever way you want to look at it. True. <laughs> I love that Good reframe. Point. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm, um, I've mentioned this a bunch of times on the podcast, but I'm working on a book exploring the psychological science of working parenthood. So stay tuned for that because there are developments happening very slowly, (laughs) but I'm very excited about it. So I'll be sharing more about that as it evolves. And in addition to the topics that our listeners have requested, which we're working on some of those, we have a lot of ideas, some really cool stuff on the horizon. Every once in a while, I start to worry like, we've talked about everything interesting. What else is there? And then I can think of like a million things and we have some really great ones coming up. So please keep listening and reach out. We really do love hearing from you, your ideas and just how this podcast is impacting you. And most importantly, ladies, thank you to the two of you. It's just been really wonderful to be on this journey with you. It's made such a difference in my life. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you both. Congratulations on a hundred. Woohoo! 100 episodes. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www off the clock, PSYCH.com. <laughs>